Well, there's something about that name. <laughs> That's all you got to say. This week, that name is Jehovah Nisi. Say Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. <laughs> Amen. If you will, brothers and sisters, join me in the book of Exodus beginning or in chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. Uh, of course, it's available for you on the screens or if you've got your smart device, you launch a Bible app. And uh, for our virtual worshipers, you'll see it on the screen as well. Reading from the New International Version, this is what you'll find from Exodus chapter 17, beginning at verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua to choose some of, your, of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Verse 12, when Moses' hand grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held, up, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the crowd. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be against, or at war rather, against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Amen. The Lord is my banner. Well, we are dead in the middle of sports season, right? Yeah, and for many of us, our understanding of banners comes from sports teams. In these seasons where there is a lot going on, um, hopefully in all the sports, the goal is for a particular team to outlast the remaining teams so that they can eventually raise what their banner of championship or victory. This is our understanding of banners, largely, right? It's about raising a flag or something that denotes a tremendous victory or a symbol of a victory that has been won. Or maybe even in light of recent events. Last week, we gathered and lamented the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse, and this week we gather and now we are able to celebrate the conviction of the murderers of Ahmaud Arbery. 
These reasons, just like sports, historically can be reasons in which people gather to raise, lift their flags, a celebration of victory because something tremendous has happened. This is our idea of what we envision when we think of Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner. It's a symbol of victory. I'd like to challenge a little bit of that today, if you don't mind. In our text, it's been just a short time since the people of Israel have been liberated from the cruel and oppressive hand and tyranny of the Egyptian leaders. It's been right about where we are in our text today in Exodus 17. It's been roughly about three months since they crossed the Red Sea and have escaped Egypt. And in this three months, since they've crossed the Red Sea on dry land and experienced so much, it has not been short of its challenges. In this three months, they've been working their way through the desert. There were no vehicles, very few animals, and so for three months, they've been walking. They've experienced the desperation of both hunger and thirst in this three months. If you remember, if you've read the story on one occasion, they finally came to a place with water, one of the first places as they were traveling through the desert. They came to a place that finally had water, a land that was known as Mara. The land was named Mara specifically for one reason, because Mara means bitter. As they were there in Mara, it's named Mara because the waters in Mara itself are bitter. The water was undrinkable. It was unbearable. That they're suffering, thirsting, thinking that they're going to die of thirst out in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, what they began to do is complain to their leader, Moses, about their eventual death by thirst. Well, they complained to Moses. Moses then cries out to the Lord. The Lord hears Moses' cry, and he shows Moses a stick that is laying on the ground and tells Moses to toss the stick into the waters. And the Lord makes the stick that was thrown into the waters make the water pleasant and drinkable. That's just one moment. They travel just a little bit further and they find themselves in a desert distant from Egypt, distant from all life. They're in the desert. There's not a lot of animals running around. There's not a lot of hunting that can happen. And now not only are they thirsty, but they are hungry. They're in the desert and they are hungry, thinking that they are going to now die of starvation and there's no food. And so once more, they complain to Moses. I want you to notice a rhythm here. They complain to Moses. Moses then cries to the Lord. The Lord hears Moses' cry. And trust me, right here in the middle of the desert, the Lord allowed chicken biscuits from Chick-fil-A to rain down from heaven. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least, at least that's, that's my interpretation of it. But what really happens is the Lord allows uh, pheasants to drop from the ground. And then not only that, or quail, not only that, but there is this substance that comes down. We know it to be called manna. But it's literally called, what is it? They don't even know what it is, which is why they call it manna. God allows quail to fall down and whatever it is to fall down, and every day the Lord gives them enough to supply their needs. Well, they travel just a little bit further, and they now find themselves again in this land called Rephidim. 
Now they're in Rephidim, and now they've got their portion of chicken biscuits every day, but they still don't have water. They're there, and they're thinking that once more they're going to die of thirst, and the Lord, they cry out rather to Moses. Moses cries out to the Lord. The Lord tells Moses to take your staff and to strike a rock. And when Moses does, he turns the rock into a water fountain. Water comes out of it, and they have everything that they need. When I read this, it's almost as though through their hunger and their thirst that God is trying to reveal more of himself to his people. Keep in mind that although these are the people who serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they don't know him the way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. They've never really been in a position where they had to fully lean and depend on God for their survival. Now they find themselves in a position where even though they are now no longer in slavery, no longer oppressed, but they find themselves for the first time in their existence. Remember, it's been 400 years since they were in uh, under Egyptian oppression. And now by themselves, for the first time, they now have to trust God wholeheartedly. And this is a time that God had to reveal for them more about who he is. My brothers and sisters, I submit that reality to you. That many of us, what we know about God is oftentimes what people tell us about God. But there are times in our lives where God has to slow things down or cause or create certain situations so that we can find out God who he is for ourselves. For God might have been a provider for your grandmother, but you don't really know him to be a provider till you find yourself without yeah, yeah. God might have been a healer for your brother or your sister, but you don't know him to be a healer till you found yourself laying in the hospital bed or suffering from a bad report. Sometimes God allows certain situations to happen so that you yourself might get to know him for yourself. That's why, my brothers and sisters, don't be too quick to always blame the devil for the troubles and the problems that you face in your life. There are times where God steps in and God got not to test you but to prove himself to you God puts you in precarious positions only so that he can reveal to you baby I've been here the entire time you've been trusted in mama you've been trusted in daddy you've been trusted in your job I had to boil things down to its most fundamental and basic level so that you'll know that it ain't Humana it's not Ford it ain't GE baby it is me I am the one who's been there I am the one who's keeping you and I've been here the entire time God oftentimes uses moments where you can't see your way through so that he can show himself to you. I'd argue that that's what's happening through this wilderness experience that the people are experiencing right now. Here we know the story. The Amalekites show up and seemingly the right time for their dastardly deeds. It was the right time. Why was it the right time? Well, let, let me show you in another text. Uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18. It says this, remember the Amalekites, what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. Listen to what he says. This is Moses writing. When you were weary and worn out 
they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. It was the perfect moment for the Amalekites, and it was the most inopportune moment for the people of Israel. Basically, what's happening is this. When they could get no lower, when they were already struggling and suffering something. You ever been there? Well, you had moments like, no, not right now. I mean, listen, any other day, any other moment, any other year, I could deal with it. But I can't deal with this. No, not right now. You ever clap talking? Not right now. I just, listen, you're going to do this now. You're going to show up now. You're going to do this to me right now. You ever been there? When life is handed you enough blows, something and someone shows up. And you're like, no, no, not today, devil, not today. This is not, it's not today. I, I, I remember this moment, man. I was reflecting. Uh, it, it was when, man, I, I was still here, still young, man. Wasn't, wasn't even married yet. My wife and I, we hadn't even met. And, and, uh, and I remember I was trying to establish myself. I was trying to grow up a little bit. I uh, was in school at U of L. And uh, I had a little second shift job. Uh, I used to work. Sean East, Bishop's son-in-law, was my supervisor. I used to work for him in the afternoons after school. It was spring semester, had just concluded, and, uh, and I was trying to find a home. I'm staying with my grandmother, and I miss my granny. I love her dearly, but I did not like living with her. And so I wanted to get up out of granny's house, and I was trying to establish myself. I had a plan. I put it together. And uh, getting ready to go to work. It was on a Saturday. I remember clearest day. I woke up, and in the mail came a letter from the University of Louisville. And uh, when I opened the letter, the letter told me that the following semester, I would be on academic probation below number one. I wasn't surprised. I, I didn't do nothing that whole semester. I mean, it really made sense, but it didn't hurt me any less, nevertheless. Got that letter, and uh, I'm feeling down because to myself, I felt like I failed me as I'm trying to plan for my future. Well, I, uh, I go to work that day, and um, I was awaiting a phone call. Oh, I'm sorry, hold up. A page from a friend. Let me get for, for the people under 40. Let me interpret for you. Uh, back in the days, we used to have these devices called pagers. And uh, the way that a pager worked is that you would pick up a phone back then normally was a landline and you would dial the number uh, there would be a beep and when the beep happened you would then type in on the phone your phone number and if you wanted to go through quickly you got to hit pound and that would let you know that it went through some of y'all forgot about that specific feature right there yeah and then if you got serious you put a star and hit like 911 and that let them know call me back right now yeah these things are called pages now they couldn't do anything else but show a phone number if you were really cool you put messages in it like you know you can tell one four three that meant I love you yeah yeah yes that's back that's back in my days yeah I ain't know nothing about that um I was waiting for a page from a friend about an apartment we had a mutual friend who was looking for a roommate his roommate was moving out and he needed a roommate and I was waiting for the page to come through about an hour after I got to work, I received the page, I called back, only to hear that the brother no longer needed a roommate. Below number two. Trying to finish out my work day. It was a Saturday, and we had something going on here at the church. 
So I figured I, I'd go, I, I, I put on some clothes, and then I'd head here to the church. I, I, I was making my way home on the Watterson Expressway. Back then, I drove a 1985 Dodge Diplomat. Oh, man, it had leprosy, too. It had spots all over it, chip paint everywhere. Had a rag top. The rag top looked like a cheese shredder went across of it. I mean, I kept it clean, though. I kept it clean. My 1985 Dodge Diplomat on 264 West, right at Teller Boulevard, stopped on me in the middle of the expressway. Blow number three. Got it pushed over to the side, and I clearly to this day remember getting out of my car and having a full-blown conversation with my car. You're going to break down today? Of all days, I'm on academic probation. I didn't get the apartment, and you can't even get me home. I don't even remember how I got here. I got here, and I felt really low. felt really low, and you can see it on my face. But over time, man, something happened. I really don't know what it was. But by the time... We were preparing to go home. It was almost as though everything that I experienced that day had dissipated. All of a sudden, I felt a little better. Now, I remember, man, Sean coming to me and asking me, he says, you go, are you all right? And I said, everything's going to be okay. And when I reflect on that, I know why. Jehovah Nisi. I found my banner. My banner was here when I gathered amongst God's people. And although it didn't change the reality of my present situation, it infused hope into my broken soul for this day. The diplomat was down. Academic probation was true. I didn't have an apartment yet. All those things remained true. But I found a reason to get up and to try again. That's what I think about when we talk about the Lord is our banner. It's not always about an attitude of victory or a banner, a flag that you wave in victory. It's not victorious, but it's a reason to keep fighting. When we think of this text and we see Moses proclaim that the Lord is my banner after the battle is won, we think he's raising the banner after the battle has begun. But if you read the text, you'll note that Moses is raising the, big, the banner from the beginning of the battle until the battle is won. Let me tell you real quickly, in case you're not catching it, the banner was nothing else other than the staff that Moses held in his hand. He was raising it not after the battle was won, but he was raising it while the battle was being fought. Okay, y'all still not there. All right, all right. Um, to make it clear, something for all of us. I'm so glad that Sister Yvonne's not here, by the way. Jamila's here. We're going to pray for all UK fans. We're praying for y'all. We're praying for y'all. What y'all clapping for? What y'all clapping for? Ain't no, ain't no God in that. Ain't no God in that. Oh. Uh, I almost didn't want to tell this illustration the way them boys laid down last night. Yeah, they did. Well, <laughs> in 2013, check this out, the Louisville Cardinals won the NCAA championship. Now, 
they may have forfeited, but we was there. We saw the games. We celebrated. We turned up on Broadway. One. And the next season, they hung a banner in the rafters of the arena, right? Well, after the NCAA infractions came upon us, they were forced to take the banner down, right? But if you go downtown, just across the street from the arena right now, you'll know there's a banner that's still hanging. The banner that was in the arena now sits across the street out the window on the side of the building of a local business. What that banner symbolizes is this. You may have taken our championship, but you have not taken our reason to believe. Yeah. We may have forfeited that moment, but we still have something to look for. What a banner does, it simply does this. It gives us as a symbol a reason to have hope, something for the people to look up to, to remind us who we are, what we've done, and the possibilities of what can be done again. When we're talking about the Lord as our banner, Jehovah Nisi, is raised during this battle to remind this people who God is what God has done, and the possibilities of what God can do. Moses is raising this staff to remind the people who God is. He's raising the staff to remind the people what God has done with this staff. He's reminding the people and what God can do, what he is capable of doing. Therefore, a better translation is not necessarily banner, but it's this. It's called a signal pole. Say signal pole signal pole. It's, it's more like a, this idea. In, in antiquity, here's what would happen. Um, when soldiers and armies were out in battle, there needed to be a place where the armies could rally together. And so what they would do was construct a pole, and oftentimes on top of the pole would be an ornament, an ornament that would glisten in the sun field so that all the soldiers, all the warriors would know where to gather. It reminded them on why they were where they were in the first place. Because regardless if the battle was going well, they needed to know. And especially if the battle wasn't going that well, they needed to know why they were there. As Moses is on top of the hill standing and Joshua and the army are in the valley fighting, the signal pole is lifted to remind the people why they were there. When they were winning, they looked up to see why they were there. It was something for them to rally around. It was something for them to believe in, to believe in who God is, what God has done, and the possibilities of what God can do. My brothers and sisters, all of us have to find a signal post, something that can remind us who God is, what God has done, and the possibilities of what God can do. It's important for us to rally around. So when the Amalekites came to Moses, Moses told Joshua, you go and gather some men to fight. And I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the staff of God, the signal pole, in my hands. The staff of God, a.k.a. the signal pole, the staff reminds the people what, who God is, 
what God has done and what God is capable of doing. The signal pole is a sign of the miraculous working powers of God. When they're in the valley fight, no, when you're in the valley fighting your battles, you need something to look up to to remind you that God is still in the miracle working business. Yeah, it's the staff. You remember the staff, don't you? Everything that the staff did for the people as they were preparing. The staff, man, it was a staff. It's just, it's just a, a little crooked piece of wood that Moses kept as a shepherd as he was out keeping the sheep. It's just a piece of wood. But God consecrated that thing for that thing to do something special in the life of the people. Who's that staff? Then when God told Moses to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, the only thing that God told Moses to take was what? Oh, it was the staff. And when Moses stood before Pharaoh and his magicians and he threw the staff down, the staff turned into a snake. The magicians thought, oh, we can do the same thing. They threw their staffs down and they became snakes. And Moses' the snake ate their snake thing that you can throw down. It was this staff that God turned the waters of the mighty Nile River into blood. It was this staff that God used to bring about the plague of frogs. It was through this staff that God sent gnats to cover all of Egypt. It was with this staff that God sent mighty storms of hell and wind upon the land. And it was the same staff that God used to call about the mighty locusts to devour the land. It was this signal pole that God used to stretch out over the waters of the Red Sea to part it so that the people could travel across on dry land. That staff is symbolic of Jehovah Nisi, our banner. So when Moses holds the staff up as he stands on the hill, they can see the staff or the power and the presence of God that was with them. One question for you, my brothers and sisters, where's your staff? Where's your signal pole? Everybody needs their staff, their banner that reminds you of what the Lord has done and that the Lord is with you. For somebody, your staff might be your child. You might be someone whom the doctor said you'd never be able to have children. And now every time that you see your little baby running around, you say, the Lord is my banner. For somebody else, your staff might be a your body. Now every time you stand in the mirror, you see that scar, you're reminded that the Lord is only your healer, but it's also your signal pole to remind you, oh, the Lord is my banner. The Lord has been keeping me. He's given me something to always remind me of who he is, what he's done, and what he's capable of doing again. Basically, your banner professes and testifies to you that if the Lord has done it before, then baby, he can do it again. Now, there's another lesson here that I don't want you to miss. There's one battle taking place, but it's been fought in two locations. One battle fought in two locations. Joshua and his men are fighting in the valley. Moses, A. Aaron, Aaron, and her are fighting on the hill. Both of them are fighting the same battle. They're just fighting it in different ways. My brothers and sisters, in this fight called life, 
if you want to win your battles, you got to fight both in the valley and on the hill. You can't just fight in the valley and think that you're going to get it done. Now, baby, you got to turn to the hills. And you can't just stay in the hill thinking that's going to get it done. Now, sometimes you got to come down from there and go into the valley. Some of us, man, who believe that we're only supposed to, as believers, we're only supposed to fight on the hill. That I just got to stay here, pray a little bit, and hope that the Lord will work it out on my behalf. And we let and allow things to transpire, to go over for time to pass when there are things that you could have done not to aid God, but to make sure that you do your part with God while God begins to work some things out. Oh, but then there are some of us who need to know that the battle is not only to be fought in the valley. That, yeah, you may be smart, you may be strong, you may be gifted, you may have even been here before. But part of the reason perhaps you are revisiting this moment, you haven't gotten through what you've been going through, is because you've been limiting your power, your strength, by only fighting in the valley. I love this. I love this. The battles, the battles being fought. And the Bible tells us that Moses began getting tired. As he began getting tired, it says that Aaron and her brought upon a rock so that Moses could sit down. And as his arms grew weary, they stood each of them on each side and lifted his hands up so that he couldn't get weak. And here's what you'll discover. The more that Moses kept his hands up, Joshua then won the battle in the valley. And whenever he dropped his hands, they were losing the battle in the valley. Here's what you need to know. Joshua and those in the valley never stopped to cheer Moses on and say, keep your hands up. No, they had to keep fighting in the valley because they had to do their part. But Moses, when he saw them winning victoriously on, in the valley, never dropped his hands and said, man, I've got it from here, baby. No, in order for the Amalekites to be defeated, in order for them to win their battle, it took both of the battles. It took the fight on the hill and the fight in the mountains. I need you to understand, my brothers and sisters, if you're going to stop repeating some of the same mistakes, if you're going to be able to make it through some of the same battles and storms, perhaps you need to start learning how to fight differently. You got to fight not only in the valley, but you got to take yourself to the hill. You got to pray a little while. You got to spend a little time in the face of Jesus. But not only that, sometimes you got to exit your doors and do your part and make sure that you are partnering with God for and towards your miracle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I wake up in the morning and I pray. That's the hill. <laughs> but I exit the doors to engage the world. That's the valley. Oh, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. That's the hill. I lean not to my own understanding and all my ways acknowledge him. Basically, I do what he tells me to do, and that's the valley. If you're going to win, you got to fight both in the valley and on the mountain. There's some who think, just fight in the hill. Leave the valley alone. Let some say, oh, just fight in the valley. Leave the hill to God. I argue, man, that both are required for victory. Paul tells us this. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness on high places. We fight both where? On the hill and in the valley. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We fight both on the hill and in the valley. Lastly, a couple other things happen here. In order to win the banner of the battle, the banner had to be the focus. For Moses, he had to hold it up. And for Joshua and the men, they had to look up. Moses had to lift his arms, and Joshua had to lift his eyes. I think one of the main reasons many of us can't get to our victory is we don't reach up, nor do we look up. We have to, if you're going to win, have an attitude of both reaching and looking. For Moses, he goes to the top of the hill and he raises his arms, yes, as a symbol to the soldiers, but more importantly, as a sign of surrender to the Lord. He knew the only way that he could win was if he raised his arms in surrender. I know, man, that that seems taboo to us. It doesn't make sense to us. How do I fight a battle? Why do I get victory with my arms raised? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that question. I'm ready for you. I saw this, man, just last week. I'm enjoying watching my little grandson grow up. The other week, we are in the kitchen. He's crawling around on the floor in the kitchen. And uh, whenever you open the refrigerator door to him, that's a sign to go get whatever he can. I open up the refrigerator door looking for what I'm looking for. He makes a beeline to the door, and he sits in the middle of the refrigerator trying to grab everything that he can. He's there for a little while, and I'm looking for what I'm looking for, and all of a sudden, I feel his little hands on my legs. I look down, and I note that the boy now, rather than reaching for things in the fridge, he's reaching up for me. Whenever he reaches for me, I don't deny him. I reach down, and I grabbed him, and I picked him up. I'm thinking that he wants me, but as soon as I grab him, he t- What the little boy knew is that there was no way he was going to get what he was looking for on the level where he was. So in order for him to get to the place of his victory, he looked up, but he recognized he also had to reach up. Some of y'all need to take some lessons from a little grandson that you're trying to make your way to your victory. And if you're going to make your way to your victory, you got to spend a little bit of time reaching up and looking up. Reach up and see. Reach up and trust. Reach up and try. Look up and see what the Lord has for you. And if you don't look up, and if you don't reach up, it might be possible that you'll never see the victory that you so desire. You need to reach up, but also look up. Moses raised his arms, Joshua raised his eyes, and because his eyes was lifted, he was able to see the banner of his victory there ahead of him. A few minutes ago, I mentioned to you all that there are some of us who have banners very prevalent in our lives, and I only gave you a couple, so perhaps I didn't touch your street. Well, let me give you a banner that all of us can relate to. I I know a banner. I I know a banner that regardless of who you are, Regardless of your background, regardless of your story, I know a banner that we can all look up to. (laughs) I know a banner that we can all reach up to. We find that banner talking about 
itself in the gospel according to John, beginning in chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. He proclaims himself as a banner. John 3, 14 and 15, the Lord says this to us. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must, what? Be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. My brothers and sisters, you and I have the right to life because the Lord is our banner. And he's been lifted up and he desires to lift us up. But all we got to do is what? Look up <laughs> and reach up. Just as Moses lifted up the staff, the Lord has been lifted up. Yeah, if you're going to fight in this valley, you got to make sure that you reach up and look up. Yeah, how do you do it, man? Well, when you're fighting, man, you got to do this. If you're going to live this world and live in this valley, if you're going to make it through your job, it's going to require you to look up and to reach up. If you're going to be able to successfully raise your children without them making you lose your mind, you're going to have to learn how to look up and reach up. If you're going to make it through your marriage because it's hard for two people to live together, you got to learn how to look up and reach up. If you're going to learn how to make a successful living, you've got to develop a posture of learning how to look up and how to reach up. If you're going to serve your church and your community the way that Christ called us all to, you've got to develop an ethic and an attitude of how to look up and to reach up so that you can be what God has called you to be. I want you to know that there's a banner for every one of us. That banner by the name, his name, by the way, his name is Jesus Christ. You may be fighting in this valley, but I need you to know that your banner is on the hill waiting for you. The Bible tells us in Romans that the Lord is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession on our behalf. He's on the hill while you're in the valley. The Lord is Jehovah Nisi, our banner. It comes from the Lord. The hills come from the Lord. He is our banner. He is the reason. He is our why. He's the reason why we keep trying and we don't give up because the Lord is our banner. And on one fate-filled day, rather than leaving us to the sins and our own devices, the Lord became the ultimate signal pole for you and I. He allowed himself to be captured by the Roman government and all its officials. He allowed himself to suffer by being tortured by all of their leaders. And on one day, he carried that old rugged cross. He got up on that cross and became a signal pole for you and I that he be lifted up, that you and I would have something to look to and something for us to reach up to. And on that old rugged cross, the Lord became our banner. On that old rugged cross, the Lord gave us victory over our challenges. On that old rugged cross, the Lord helped us so that we don't give up. On that old rugged cross, God gave us reasons to keep trying again on that old rugged cross. He made sure that you and I would have life. Oh, and life more abundantly. The Lord is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Oh, we used to sing about that banner. We say, alas, and did. My Savior bleed and did. My sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. Oh, at the cross, 
at the cross where I first saw the light and what the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight and now, and now, and now I'm happy all the day. Jehovah Nisi, he's your banner. You may not be winning today. Oh, but keep looking to the hills from whence comes your help. Your help comes from Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is your banner. I know they gave up on you. I know they turned their back on you. But trust in Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is your banner. The Lord is your reason. He's your why. Look to the hills. Oh, that's where your help comes from. Look to your banner, your signal pole, and you'll find reason. You'll find reason to try again. Amen. 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 Come on. Stand up all over this room.